0: This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com.
1: Hey, friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. When you hear the words sex, God, and church in the same sentence, what thoughts pop in your head? Maybe thoughts that include words like silence, or shame, or judgment. It is often easier to stay silent on topics like sex because many of us have shame and guilt surrounding our own sexual history. Or, we are afraid of the rejection we will face if we share our struggles. Today I sit with Mo Isom, the author of Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot, and we talk about just that, how God created sex. How honesty about sexual bondage destroys the enemy's schemes. How the church and its people can shift the narrative of, quote, sex is bad outside of marriage. Just don't do it. And the difference between privacy and darkness. Listen to what Mo says about the power of our testimony.
0: The enemy has done... extraordinary job of silencing the church with shame. And we've got to understand that the scripture calls us to a boasting in our weaknesses so we can point to the glory of the cross, that no sin has overtaken us, that is uncommon to mankind, that he is the one who meets the Samaritan woman by the well and drums up her sexual sin and offers her living water and calls her redeemed and activates her into evangelism. And many come to believe because the sexually broken woman encountered the grace of a king who says, you are not disqualified. I make all things new. And not only that, I want to use you. And it's like, man, if we can get these truths into our bones, I think we would begin to walk in truth with a boldness, much like Acts 4, the the very common Peter and John were common men, but people recognized they had been with Jesus. And so they moved in this boldness, despite whatever our past has held.
1: Friends, I truly believe this conversation will be a tool used to open hearts and minds and mouths to confess sexual bondage and shame, leading to a journey of freedom in Christ and fellowship with Him. And so I ask you to share it and pray that God will use Mo's words, her book, and His Holy Scripture to set people free all across the world. Good morning, Mo. Thank you so much for taking time this morning to sit down with me for the Grace Enough podcast
0: of course this is a this is a treat thank you for having me on I'm, I'm excited
1: absolutely we'll take a moment and introduce yourself your family and tell our listeners a little bit about what you do
0: sure so I goodness first and foremost am a wife smoking hot husband um, <laughs> his name' is Jeremiah we've been married just about almost five years coming up on our anniversary um, I'm a mom as well we've got Three little kiddos running around who um, are three and a half, one and a half, and two months. So it is chaos in the best <laughs> kind of way. Um, and then I, I have a ministry that has just been the greatest privilege to get to, to carry out for the past, goodness, seven or eight years. I'm an author, have a couple books in circulation. One is called Wreck My Life, Journeying from Broken to Bold. And the other uh, is called Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot. And have those books out circulating around and then am a speaker as well. Um, and travel across the country as well as across the world, sharing the gospel and teaching the word and speaking. And um, it's just the best kind of chaos. I guess really yeah. is the greatest word. We're just making it work. It's so it's been so unique each season of life. And and this one's been really fun because we've gotten to do this all together as a family and you know, that the books have impacted so many and to hear from people who have read them and who who want this content broken apart and spoken into and, and taught on is just really confirmation that God's in the middle of all of this. And yeah. it's our privilege. It's our privilege to get to do what we do.
1: Absolutely. And it's honestly another conversation that I could probably have with you for a whole nother episode on that decision of your husband coming home and you guys starting to work together. And yeah, that's a whole nother conversation of just just <laughs> making the choice to go, you know, into a team and give up your career or whatever that he was doing and so we could chat about that but I do want to chat about your books because they have impacted me and so many of my you know listeners my friends but I don't want to assume that everybody knows your story which you did write about and wreck my life and so for those that don't really know your story will you share a little bit of that with our listeners and um, tell them how you came to know Jesus
0: it's, um, it's long and winding and wonderful. And so I'll, I'll kind of, I guess, give the bullet points. Um, I was raised up in the church. I was raised up in a Christian home with great parents who worked really hard to instill in me what it meant to be a woman of God. But I, I was also I'm in the Bible Belt. I'm Atlanta based. And it's just cultural around here. It's what you do. And For me, as a younger girl, it was just kind of the flow. It was like church on Sunday and a cross on my necklace. And, you know, I could say all the right things. I knew a lot about God. I didn't know God, though. And there is a a, a big difference. And it wasn't uh, really things sort of started to heat up and become challenging and cause me to question and explore this whole faith thing. In high school, when riding kind of the coattails of my parents' faith, had worked for a while, but real pressures started to come. And, um, I struggled a lot with my identity. I was a really competitive, um, soccer player and a successful one at that was just really gifted in that capacity. And so rooted a lot of my identity there, but then, you know, my worth was kind of based on my wins and losses and my relationship with my dad circulated a lot around my sports. And I just didn't know who I was or whose I was. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know how that that whole Jesus component merged into the other six days of the week. And so when identity issues came, perfectionism really began to to bind me in a lot of ways. And the influence of the culture and the world and the want for control over something, it's just sort of this... Tumultuous time, which it really can be for a lot of high schoolers and a lot of our kids or a lot of our, you know, grandkids, whomever is coming to mind. It's just a time you're kind of figuring yourself out. And I based a lot of who I was on what I could or couldn't do. And it caused um, control issues that manifested into an eating disorder that was really crippling through really my whole high school run. Started as anorexia, developed into bulimia, developed into a combination of the two. I was really, really sick. But really, no one knew on the outside wow. was very good at keeping those things hidden and wearing those masks. And now, was um, that
1: in college, too?
0: You know, it was before, right before I headed off to college, okay. I had accepted a scholarship to Louisiana State University. Go Tigers, LSU.
1: <laughs> any, Wildcats? Any I'm, I'm an SEC oh.
0: girl, too. Sorry. <laughs> you know what? That's fine. We beat you guys every time. I'm not too worried about it. <laughs> I always have to go back to
1: basketball. I'm like, well, you did it in soccer. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, at least I have something to cling to, right?
0: I'll take the cake on that one. We won't talk football, but basketball. I know,
1: right? There's always there's. It's nice when your school is really good at least something, because you can always say, "But but we kick your tail in this." Well, we kick you, you know, whatever. Anyway, sorry, that's a side note. You guys
0: are excellent at basketball. I will give you that. Um, Yeah, it was when I accepted the scholarship to play at LSU. Really, I was very sick. I was very worn down. I'd been four years of abusing my body, confused about who I was. And I came across this piece of scripture. I couldn't have told you when or how or the context or what anything around it was saying. I was not that biblically literate at the time. But somehow, this is the beautiful way that God finds us. Um, In the simplest ways at times, I, I stumbled across a piece of scripture that simply said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest And it didn't say, come to me if you have it all figured out. It didn't say, come to me if you're feeling amazing and you're on the mountaintop. It it said, come to me if you're weary and if you're burdened, and I will give you rest. And I knew in my heart I was very much those things, and I was desperately tired for some rest. Um, So I kind of started to tiptoe into, what does this mean, God? You know, I I, I hand this back over to you. I've been trying to control things on my own. I'm terrible at it. (laughs) And so what does it look like to come to you in this transition? Yeah, I'm about to to head eight hours away from home, and I'm not doing okay. And so what does it look like? And he just invited me so kindly back into um, this deeper layer of exploration of who he was outside of knocking things off a checklist, but to really explore him in my need. And so I kind of took these baby steps of faith and said, okay, you know, where do I begin then? And the invitation from him was just begin to give me the glory. Mm. You've lived so focused on self. Like I always relate it to like this helmet of mirrors, like oh, my wants, yeah. my needs, my insecurities, my thoughts. It's all, all you see. It's just bouncing right back at you when we wear this kind of like helmet of mirrors. And he was like, just, just focus on me. Give me the glory. Look at the things that I am doing and, um, we'll, we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. And so it was a shift where I started to give God the glory and see him in the big and small and the ways that he honored and blessed that were just tremendous. I mean, this amazing freshman year, especially athletically, on the mountaintop, exploring God's, you know, figuring out more about him, seeing his goodness, his kindness, and really seeing a lot of tangible blessing and kind of liking it. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. I went from like this incomplete perspective of God to God in a box, like for Sunday, to still this incomplete perspective of God of, oh, I give you the glory and you give me the blessing. Right, right. Great. (laughs) I mean, it was like, oh, this is this it? Because I love this. Yeah, Um, And it was a special year that ended on a lot of highs and then came to absolutely crashing low. I I went home after freshman year of winter break. And during that time home, my dad put a gun to his heart and pulled the trigger. And suicide suddenly just interrupted my story. And this, Mm -hmm. especially in the spiritual side, this faith walk layer, suddenly this God I had been following and tiptoeing with and figuring out and seeing all the goodness of, I felt like was a farce or had abandoned me or was not as good as I thought he was. Or suddenly when things didn't feel so good and the circumstances didn't look so good in life, I just took off running. Yeah. And I ran into depression, into anxiety, into promiscuity, into any sin-sized piece I could find to fill the God-sized hole in my heart. I I stared at my dad's body on a morgue table at 19 years old. And it was, it's just amazing. There's so much adversity we can kind of handle Mm -hmm. when we're actually rooted in the sand. I mean, just by our own strength, by our own power, kind of a degree of adversity, we can kind of navigate through. The eating disorder was tough, but like kind of held my ground and- you know, came back and God was strengthening me, but that it's like, there's some we can kind of balance. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but there's John sixteen thirty three says in this world, you will face trouble, trouble. Mm-hmm. and take heart and have courage because I've overcome the world. So there's actually a guarantee in scripture. There's hardship that's going to come. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we can kind of wrap our heads around that until the hardship literally knocks the knees out from under us. And we are face down and crippled mm-hmm. and, completely lost. And it's like it tips the scales too far, too much. And we go from praising God, hoping in God, trusting in God to suddenly something real just happened. And it's like our flesh goes from praising in God. But if we're still on that sand, not on the rock of who he really is and who we are, we go quickly to blaming God. God, you're not good. You're not kind. You're not enough. You're not all these things I thought you were. Maybe I was all wrong. And it's like, that was the that was the blow that came and kind of knocked things out from under me and really sent me down a pretty dark path. But what's amazing, um, people listening are like, dear Lord, this is not a great, not a great well, episode. No, but this I'll is point heavy- out
1: with that really quickly, too, is something that I have not faced near that type of battle. But that yeah. idea that even even people who are really strong Christians can face that and struggle. And that's where I always encourage people You know, that's where that Sunday faith does fall apart because not Mm -hmm. knowing like the depth of God's word on your own, when you are faced with a true struggle, like a true, like you said, I mean, the death of a parent, Mm -hmm. the way you can battle through that changes because you don't have like the whole thread of the story through God's word to say, okay, I'm struggling, I'm desperate, I'm depressed, but there is hope. And this is where I know there is hope. I don't know if that makes sense, but I mean, I think just, no, it
0: makes perfect sense. Yeah, The
1: depth of scripture, like knowing it more than just the one liners, more than just the general stories you hear on Sunday is not going to provide that foundation for you. And I think that's a lie our culture can sometimes tell us.
0: Yeah. It's like get in the Bible app for 10 minutes in the morning and that's enough. And that's, that's actually never going to be enough. It's like, there is, it's the difference. Like, like we said at the beginning of knowing a lot about God versus knowing God. Mm -hmm. And when we know the voice of the Good Shepherd, when we know the intimacy with the Father, that no matter what is falling apart around me, you are the rock of my salvation. I'm not standing on the sand of what I've kind of uh, perceived or assumed or see on Instagram or Mm -hmm. like on Twitter. And I've roughly framed an idea of God. No, when we know God, when we hunger and thirst for his word, when we know the character and nature and complexity of who he reveals himself to be to us, there is a a, a vast difference in how we handle the hardships. There is a divine hope in the valley. It's like the valley doesn't become our, our tomb anymore. There's still valleys, but there's a divine hope in the midst of them. And I I just didn't know that at the time. It it was a shallow faith. And so it gave out quickly when that faith was really tested when you need faith. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like a really hard year and it led to so much darkness, so many lies I believed giving away myself in hopes that someone would give me something that filled me up. You know, it was just messy, but God's so faithful and he's so kind. And just like he found me with that scripture when I was the, the naive high schooler, that, that all I needed was to hear, like, I could give you rest. Like, just like you found me when I wasn't seeking him still, the same came to pass when I was headed home for Thanksgiving break after like a year of just mess Yeah. And I was at the end of my rope. I really understood why my dad did what he did. And I saw it as a viable option for my own life, that it would be easier, that it would be quicker, that it would be over. It just wouldn't have to deal with the pain anymore. You know, it's like that pain becomes so persistent and sufferable if we, if we don't have the hope of something greater. And I was at my most broken point where I really was like, God, if you are who I hear you are, everyone says you're the healer and the redeemer and mm-hmm. so amazing. All the I don't feel words. It. right. All the churchy words, but I'm like a real human, really not feeling that and not knowing that to be true. And it was this desperate cry out of like, if you are something that should matter in my life or anything really, if you're even real, you have to do something. Mm-hmm. You have to do something here. Cause I'm at the end of the line and you've got to reveal yourself to me. And um, disclaimer, super dangerous prayer to pray. Cause he's more than willing <laughs> he's ready to girl. respond <laughs> and he'll, he will, he will wreck your life to save your life and save your eternal story. And, oh, and that. It, that was very tangible and real for me. I'm headed down the interstate and my most broken state and he very much wrecked through my life I I lost control of my vehicle al- alone on the interstate I'm in the center median I'd been zoned out just hurting broken suddenly I'm like snapping back to it my wheel is in the dirt and I pull my car back onto the interstate or tried to I shoot straight across it flips oh, yeah. multiple times and I I ended up upside down in a ravine very physically broken <laughs> neck ribs, lungs, jaw, brain. It was a lot going on. Um, but it was hanging upside down in that vehicle that I i get goosebumps every time I talk wow. about it. The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit entered into that wreckage so mightily, it was almost physically crushing. Wow. It was overwhelming that the cry of my heart had been, God, if you're so real, do something. Mm-hmm. And he was like, then buckle okay. up, mm-hmm. literally. Uh, because wow. I will use anything and everything to disrupt your lost journey and point you back home and lead you back home and intersect your heart and your life. And it was hanging upside down in that Jeep that the Holy Spirit just entered in and overwhelmed me. And what I felt and what opened my eyes and pulled away the scales, it was like Paul on the road to Damascus was this intersection and this voice saying, be still, And know that I am God, Psalm 46, 10. In this world, you will face trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You rejoice in your suffering because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. It was this colossal, like, download of all these things I didn't know. I didn't know the scripture reference. I didn't know much of these things, but it was this download of the reality of the gospel to my heart. Wow of would you be still and know that I see you, I know you, I love you, nothing is outside of my reach, nothing is too broken to be mended, but you must choose if you're going to continue to allow the haphazard winds of life to hopefully blow your broken pieces together into something you can salvage, or will you trust me to rebuild you into a new creation? Because I took the cross not just for your sins i took the cross because of your sins mm. there was a there was a shift there that happened with me where the gospel became very personal to me yeah Of It wasn't just this vague, broad thing, but Jesus had to take the cross because of my sin and my rebellion. And there's a personalization of the fact that he hung on that cross and he stayed when he didn't have to. And I'm like, me, the girl racking up my number at LSU, like physically, the girl who's depressed, anxious, broken in pain, you stayed on that cross, offer me this grace. Like Me? And he was like, of course you, of course you, because wow. I love you. And it just changed everything. Uh, that was such a, I said, I'd give the bullet points answer. And then I get really excited. I know, but now
1: I'm so into it. I'm like, no. I don't even know if I can go into the whole thing. We actually are here to talk about.
0: <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, but I mean, no, you're it's preaching the gospel
1: all- in a sense of like, God is not this far off person that nobody can relate to. I mean, Jesus is a man who walked the earth and actually has experienced every pain, every temptation. And it's so hard to imagine that because we didn't walk like in his shoes at that moment. But even just someone I was talking to interviewing last week was saying she struggles with anxiety and she had said, you know, Jesus knew it. He was so fearful of dying that he actually sweated Blood and crying blood. out to his father, saying, "I don't want to do yeah. this. Take it from me." You know, yeah. what I mean, like, so we don't understand sometimes just the gravity of how much he loves us.
0: Yeah, and what he took for us—it's—it's—it's it's, it's profound to me because I, I, I challenged even people in my—I have this little email that I'll send out to people, and I was meditating on these words just yesterday, talking about this beautiful invitation. If we remember that day we first came to believe, Mm -hmm. when it was all about him, when he intersected my life, it was purely Jesus. It had nothing to do with Mo anymore. In fact, Mo was the messiest mess in that whole recipe. It was all about him, his grace, his immeasurable mercy, his love, his power. And yet somehow then we start walking that out and it's it slowly becomes back to like being about us. Yeah. And I'm like wait 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 can we come back and remember it, that moment of amazing grace that we were willing to stand there and say your love for me is so incomprehensible. Right. God whatever you have for my life, whatever you call me to, whatever it looks like, I am yours. You are mine and I am yours. And it's like, we're all in. And that's the beauty is like, we find life when we realize like, it's time to die to Mm -hmm. self. Mm -hmm. It's time to put myself to death and rise with Christ. Mm -hmm. Like it's time to take my cross and bear it and follow you all the days of my life. Mm -hmm. And it was so readily left my lips. Like in that moment that we first came to believe. And I I never want to forget that because that is ultimately the call that his grace would intersect us, that it would breathe us back to life. And that we would say then every day forward, God, your will be done. That we would be biblically literate to know what that looks like. like, Your will be done, make me more like Jesus. So who is he? And I know his, his blood covered it. The cross is amazing. It's incredible. It met me. So teach me who you are. And that is who I I want to be made into by your exactly. power, by your grace. And it's like, man, that's what gets me excited when I remember those things. And I wake up in the morning and I'm like, we're, you, you've got me another day. We're still on this journey. Like, let's keep doing this thing. Right. It's just beautiful. It's beautiful.
1: So, I mean, you wake up and you're, you still have years at LSU did you go back?
0: I did. Yeah. You I finished had, um, playing soccer. I did. Yeah. Went back, um, had some recovery time physically, but, um, went back, finished my soccer career and on a high, I mean, it was an incredible run. And then additionally continued forward, um, training with the men's football team in my fifth year of eligibility training as a place kicker. And, um, yeah. Wow. I forgot about that piece of the puzzle. I feel thoroughly washed up now. I'm a mother. I birth humans. I'm like, <laughs> if I tried to kick anything, I would tear everything from my toes to the top of my head. And so, um, I forget about that, Listen, but yeah, it was amazing. Had three had-
1: kids in like four and a half years. So right? that's some major, I, I can't even, <laughs> I mean, I have three that's kids That's my
0: athletic too. achievement. That's that, like, that's, that's <laughs> Hitting 53-yard field goals or like in my soccer career, I scored a 90-yard goal at one point. All of these great athletic highs. I'm like, but listen, I naturally birthed two 10-pound babies. So can we talk about that? And apparently Sports Illustrated does an interview for that, but it should because that felt significant.
1: (laughs) You are worthy of an interview for birthing 10-pound babies because I've had one 10-pound, four-ounce, and it wasn't natural. And um that was enough. That was enough. That's so anyway, really <laughs> Well you you go on though to end up writing your second book, Sex, Jesus and the conversation the church or the conversations the church forgot. And my yeah. friend Kristen recommended that book to me. I mean, it's probably been well, it was close to when you released it. So it's been out for how long now? A couple of years
0: um a little over a year yeah it came out last march i think oh, so gosh. year and a half See, where has the time yeah. gone i don't have a time tracker either i had I to know. look at a calendar to remember that <laughs>
1: yeah well I th- so i think it was in may after it came out that i read it and i've recommended it so many times because there's just so much truth in it we don't talk about it but as we go into chatting a little bit about the book what led you to write that book
0: Um, it weaves in with everything we've been talking about before. When I sat down to write my first book, Wreck My Life, it was recapping much of what I just shared. It was really unpacking my testimony of coming to faith and the radical shift that happened when I came to faith and what life looked like from that point forward in light of Christ. And so as I was writing that book, I'm like, you know, moving through all the parts of my story. And I realized There is a sexual narrative that is paralleled to this whole testimony that knew a lot of brokenness, a lot of confusion, a lot of pain. And then at that moment of Jesus' intersection in my life, everything shifted and changed. And there was a journey that even followed that. So what does that look like in sexuality, like in who I am as a human in this capacity? What did that look like moving forward with Jesus now in the equation? And it wasn't perfect. (laughs) It wasn't like pretty or easy. It was a learning curve of how do I surrender this to, to the way that would honor God, yeah. that Christ would have my life redeemed in this capacity. And so I'm like writing wreck my life. And I'm like, there's no way I can condense all of this into a chapter. Yeah. Like this is, a, this is deep. This is a lot we need to unpack together as a church, as a body and there's a lot of things here and so i i knew from then that that was going to be really the content of another whole book okay and i was literally in my kitchen one morning when god just like it, he like hard drive, downloads stuff into me. That's kind of the theme <laughs> of how he works. He'll just like avalanche me with a revelation. And then I have to like process Run for the next and write years. It down really quickly. <laughs> yeah, literally, I'm in my kitchen. And I had to sprint to my like mm-hmm. baker's rack where my notepad was and wrote down he just gave me boom, sex, Jesus, the conversations, the church forgot every element, every topic wow. he wanted me to speak into. He like, broke apart my sexual narrative, which really is hard. We would really not rather wrestle with that. But he just, I mean, it just poured out. And I was like, God, this is so scary. Can we talk about maybe a different book, Lord? Mm -hmm. Can you just, can we rewind and you sort of re, uh, give me something different? Because when we really start to break this down to the nitty gritty and the things that I struggled with and the things that many are struggling with and this is going to be hard. Mm-hmm. This is scary because people don't talk about it for a reason. It's heavy. It's different. The sexual layer of our lives and our story carries this extra weight, it feels often, of shame. Yeah. And so it was a little bit of a wrestling match um, with Jesus when push came to shove and I had to start putting words to paper. But the, the profound move of the Spirit as I wrote that book yeah. and the profound ways He... God has used that to reach and speak into so many people's lives just leaves me floored. I'm so grateful for his call to obedience in that capacity because these are conversations we've been needing to have. And it feels it felt terrifying and now it feels so victorious to kind of be on the front lines of that mm-hmm. and say, okay, if no one else is gonna say it, I'll say it. Let's yeah. just say the thing. Let's just, you know, put it out there. And it does. It it covers a lot of different layers and pieces and topics. And I wove really my story and my testimony through that because scripture says sin is defeated by the blood of the lamb and the yep. word of our testimonies. So I think people seeing they're not alone in something mm-hmm. and hearing the radical truth of God mm-hmm. all over it has mm-hmm. been really neat to see the way that's kind of created.
1: Well, and what I think about when I was actually reading your book, because one of my favorite books is Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. <laughs> and Yes. You know, I'm sitting there reading your book and I'm thinking, that's right. Right now, Wormwood, you're get, you know, like you are being defeated in a way because you can see this narrative. It's one of my favorite books because it, it transcends time. No matter yeah. who you are, where you live, what time, like Screw Tape Letters is just talking about how we're tempted and the temptations are the yeah. same. They just come in a different They just are spoken a little bit differently depending upon where we live. Mm -hmm. And so as you, as I'm reading the book you wrote, I'm like, yes, this is the thing. She is overcoming the gates of hell right now because she's no longer saying, I'm not going to talk about this. And it is something in our culture that is just not not culture. Our culture talks about it all the time, but it's lies. Christian culture. Often we just stray away from it because we think we're going to make mistakes or we just, I don't know. It's its the weirdest thing. But why should Christians talk about this? Why should we talk about sex?
0: It's absolutely imperative because um, God talks about sex a lot, yes. a lot. To talk more about sex is to look more like the one who created it. God created it with purpose and with power. It's God's invention radical. I know some people are listening like, no, no, no. Sex and God are very different. They're, they're not God created sex. It was a gift given to us by him with parameters, with boundaries around it. It's an act of worship in the right context. It's actually a weapon against the enemy in the right context. It is a profoundly God breathed gift and act and Yet, we're in a time where the culture has, the enemy has stolen it, twisted it, cheapened it, perverted it, robbed it of the sanctity that it is to be married to, and we are suffering as a result. Mm -hmm. We're really suffering as a result of the culture drowning us in perversion and the body of Christ not knowing how to navigate the conversation in truth. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility as the body of believers to seek truth on these matters, to know them, to walk in them, and to reach to those who are hurting and drowning and broken and defeated by a world that's screaming a very different narrative, yet also screaming, hashtag me too. It's like the world that's like, there's no absolute truth. Whatever you feel, whatever you want, however, whenever, test drive the car before you buy it, navigate your own body. It's your freedom. It's your wants. It's that same world propagating this message that then is like, wow, I'm really wounded. Me too. Hashtag me too. And there was many, uh, you know, culturally and within the church that that resonated with because they're like, we're really broken. And we're really suffering and we're really confused. And I'm like, man, we have such a responsibility right now to rise up, to know truth for ourselves, to seek healing where we need it so we can be on the front lines reaching those who need to know there's restoration here, there's healing here, there's hope here, there's purpose here, there is absolute design and truth here. And, Mm -hmm. um... There's an answer here that you've been seeking and you can't seem to find, and it, it, his name is Jesus. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times the church is silent about it because we don't we don't know the truth for ourselves, yeah. um, or we're ashamed because we've been navigate or we've been in sin as well. Yeah. Honestly, we feel disqualified. The enemy has done an extraordinary job of silencing the church with shame. Mm-hmm. And we've got to understand that the scripture calls us to a boasting in our weaknesses so we can point to the glory of the cross, that no sin has overtaken us, that is uncommon to mankind, that he is the one who meets the Samaritan woman by the well and drums up her sexual sin and offers her living water and calls her redeemed and activates her into evangelism. And many come to believe because the sexually broken woman encountered the grace of a king who says, you are not disqualified. Mm. I make all things new. And not only that, I want to use you. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And it's like, man, if we can get these truths into our bones, I think we would begin to walk in truth with a boldness, much like Acts 4, The, the very common Peter and John were common men, but people recognized they had been with Jesus. And so they moved in this boldness, despite whatever our past has held. And I'm really sweating and excited. (laughs) I'm
1: sorry. Girl, I love it. I love it. I feel like what I should be in is like an audience of 5,000 people because you're bringing it. Like, it's so true. It's this.
0: It's like, I don't mean to preach around it. I don't, I don't. I don't mean preachy
1: as in like, you make me want to run. It's like, no, it's true. There's this power in speaking about stuff. And in the church, if we would approach things more from a unified perspective instead of, oh, you're the black sheep. Because you've admitted right. this, when in reality, 75% oh, or more of the people sitting around you are in the same thing and they just don't, they're afraid to admit it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm exactly, like, exactly. It's
1: destroying the church.
0: Yeah, it is. And it's, it's doing so steadily and meticulously and yeah. um, pervasively. Mm-hmm. And scripture says the power of life and death lies in the tongue. Mm hmm. And so if the enemy has so silenced us with shame that we've missed these conversations for far too long. What if we believed the truth of the power of life and death lies mm. in the tongue? That means if I can can find the courage to speak these things, to bring them before the Lord, but also bring them to accountability to community to say, "Hey, I'm actually walking through this too. I'm a woman and I'm struggling with porn. I'm a woman and I feel 10 million miles apart from my husband when we lay side by side because there's a fracture here in our marriage. I'm a young woman trying to move through this college scene and the temptation is crushing me. I am a person who loves Jesus with all of my heart and wants to walk in obedience with him. But I have some strongholds here from pain in my past and Mm -hmm. sexual pain that was inflicted on me. And I just can't seem to forgive. Like I'm carrying these things. I am the, the, the mother out of wedlock I am the one who had the abortion. I am the one who's known this sexual pain and hurt. And dad gummit, if I am not going to be imprisoned by silence and shame any longer, but I believe there's life in the tongue. There's power of life in the tongue. So I am going to not only bring these things before the father, but I'm going to bring life with my with my voice in mm. confessing these things and sharing these things and allowing the body of Christ to be yeah. what is intended to be a body that bears one another's burdens mm-hmm. and walks in humility, walks in unity, walks on this journey together. Right. Oh, if we would speak it, we you yeah. I challenge anyone listening, find someone you trust and love yeah. and simply speak, share what has been going on and feel the weight that lifts off your shoulders and it will empower you to take that next step to, sh- to share a little more and a little more and it's true that his yoke is easy his burden is light life lies in the power of the tongue when we give voice to it it's like we one to punch the enemy whose greatest tactic was keeping us silent
1: Well, and I love that you say that because I was talking to a friend yesterday whose marriage, they're working so hard through some things because of years and years of porn, you know, pornography addiction.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So many times it's been, you know, read your Bible more and pray. And it's become so frustrating because it hasn't worked. And the narrative there was, if you just do these things, all of it will go away. But what has started to bring actual healing has been going through an intensive process with other people who have walked Mm -hmm. the path before and are Mm -hmm. now in a place of health and who are speaking life into them and saying, I understand what you have been through. I know what you're yeah. going through, but I'm telling you like Jesus can overcome, but we've got to identify a lot of the truths and the lies that you've been believing since you were a child. Yes. So there, Amen. you know, that coming together with a group of people or one other person, like you said, to walk through it, yeah. accountability, mentorship is vital in addition to knowing the truth of God, like right. you really it's, have to have all of it.
0: It's really, yeah. It's a it's not an either or. It's no. a both and. Yes. Because when we function in the either or, we're holding ourselves up and hoping in our own ability that obviously the Holy Spirit is able to do anything, Absolutely. but we're really hoping in our own ability. I I don't have to share this with anybody else. God just fix it in me. So that's the the either or of it's just pride. sitting in the word. It's pride. It is it's really pride. Or the opposite is we're we're sharing everything with everyone and yep. hoping everybody has the answer, but we don't know yep. the truth and the word for ourselves. And so it's not an either or, it's mm-hmm. really a both and of that. etching yep. his word on our hearts. But also doing life with the body of Christ and allowing it to be what it's always yeah. intended to be, um, and it's amazing. I, I hear from so many people. I get the DMs or the emails or you know the whispers after a conference of like <laughs> people sharing their deepest, darkest, hardest thing, and I'm like, I wish. I could show everyone this email and let you see that I've received forty other emails mm. that look exactly the same. Yeah, that I've heard from 10, you are not alone. A hundred other women who are walking through the exact same thing. You're whispering this because you feel like you're the only one who's dealt with X, Y, or Z. Mm. But there are countless around you yeah. who are really walking the very same things. And it's it is. I wouldn't out somebody's email just for the record <laughs> right. Right, I right, right. I carry those things in confidence and and. And hope, but I, I would just encourage anyone listening to understand: you're not the outlier. Yeah, I sit there in my book and and literally share about addiction to pornography, about being involved in an adulterous relationship unknowingly in college, um, about masturbation, about the struggles with so many different things about promiscuity and shout out to anyone listening. Who's like, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm still a virgin. Well, that was my narrative too. And yet Mm -hmm. I was pushing every envelope possible, still waving this prideful banner of virginity yet very much not understanding purity and very promiscuous to the point that I thought was permissible. And it's like, man, I wish, I wish we would walk in the courage of handing those things over to Jesus freely
1: mm-hmm.
0: and walking with the body together because we would begin to understand that truly there is this community and, and healing and accountability and power and freedom found mm-hmm. in the body of Christ doing this thing together. And it's just important.
1: And speaking of anybody who listens to my podcast knows I love to share quotes from books that I love and You know, since I'd already told you, I've literally underlined and recommended your book so many times. And so we're talking about this whole, you know, using virginity as a banner. And that's one of the quotes that I want people who haven't read it to hear and us to discuss just a little bit. But you write, God doesn't want our self-reliant promise of virginity. He wants your whole heart with abstinence being a willing byproduct of your love for his instruction and your faithfulness to abide. But in our self-serving sin, we respond, how about instead of my whole heart, I just give you some semi-good behavior?
0: Mm-hmm. What
1: is the danger of Christians, of us, of the church, simply promoting this idea that remaining a virgin is the highest quality or an achievement to put on your crown?
0: Yeah, I think what's, what's dangerous here, um, first, I want to say it's good It's good that we're talking about abstinence, that we're talking about virginity. It's important. It is good. It is beautiful. It is pure. It is right in so many ways. But when the conversation starts there and ends there and sits there and that's the stamp, the seal, the marker, Mm -hmm. you've ended the conversation for a a startling number of people that that's not something they can claim. Yeah. And you've limited the conversation for a startling number of people who can claim that and think that that's the end-all be-all. The reality is that simply speaking of virginity um, and striving solely for virginity, and I'm speaking from experience here, it's a works-based answer to a life surrender question. Mm -hmm. You see, far far more often than virginity is mentioned, God speaks of purity, Mm -hmm. that he would call us to purity to be carriers of His Spirit, of His light, that are pure, pure in thought, pure in actions, pure in words, that we would set our eyes on the purity of Christ, the purity of of the cross, and that we would um, surrender our whole lives Mm -hmm. to Him, to walk in purity, that He wants our whole hearts Yeah. And that it is, the scripture says, create in me a clean heart, oh God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. And it's it's an incredible call to a pure heart that is the source of ultimately our actions. So what would scripture say that pure actions will flow from a pure heart, impure actions will flow from an impure heart. So when we're solely speaking of virginity, we're looking at a works-based answer to what is actually a life surrender question. He's saying, I want all of you. I want every bit of you. I want you to walk with me. When you walk with me, trust me, abide in me, obey my commands, a, a pure actions will follow. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we solely focus on virginity, it's just the works. And what happens when we look at solely works is we'll, or at least I did, we'll we'll find every bit of gray area we can navigate We oh, you better life. believe it. Because we're we can human be beings, exceptionally impure. In the midst it's like because we
1: still want the um, crown. I mean, we still want the stone in the crown, but it really because it's all about us. It becomes much more. Well, I did this. Look how good I am. Except over here, I'm touching everywhere. Right. I'm, you know, yes, all the I things. Was
0: a, I was addicted to porn and still a virgin. Yeah. So girl. what does that say at I the know. end of the day? What does it say at the end of the day Would we really stand before God and, and say, look at what I, I look, I was a virgin mm-hmm. and he's like, but your heart is so impure mm. and that's a gut check for many people, but it's also an incredible invitation to, <laughs> that he cares about so much more and he's able to redeem so much more. Mm. God can't redeem our virginity if it's lost. Like, uh, what I mean by that is like, I won't get too graphic. Like, can't store your hymen if your hymen's right, right, right. Exactly. Let's get real. There, our virginity—it's a spiritual, scientific break. Yeah, can't you know, be regained, but our purity can yes. Uh, by the blood of Jesus, by right. the power of the cross, the purity of our hearts, our bodies, our minds, our souls can be redeemed in a breath, in a breath from the Living God. and that is profoundly hopeful from someone mm-hmm. whose virginity was lost 10 years ago Amen. and has I'm been right lost there with you. 55 partners, you know and it's like so far gone, there is still hope. Mm-hmm. There is truth because his restoration extends so far beyond our actions. It mm-hmm. profoundly touches our hearts. And when our hearts are restored and made new, we're, we got a good thing going. We've got a good thing going and there is incredible redemption to be found and hope for the hopeless and a way for the lost. Yeah. Um, and I just love it. I love it because it's for the Samaritan woman at the well, just as much mm-hmm. as it's for the the Virgin, yeah, it's for whore at the well, <laughs> just yeah. as much as it's for the the virgin, and that's beautiful for both sides of the coin. Absolutely, Um, because it brings us right back to him. And it's not about a-
1: us and how good we are. I mean, right. it's, it's valuable, and- but again, you make choices in order to glorify the Lord, not in order to build up self. And that is something in our culture that, and maybe it's every culture. I don't know, but. Um, And and you're a fan uh, and a friend of Jeff Bethke and Alyssa, but, you know, he talks so much about that. Our culture is so individualistic.
0: Yeah, yes.
1: And on every level. And again, that is a, that's an episode for a different day that we could talk about for a full hour. And how that with sexuality, oh my, Mm -hmm. I mean... It just, it even racks it up for the Christian, because like we said, if we just remain a virgin, we're all good. Well, that just, Mm -hmm. all it does is put it in a me mindset, Um, you know, instead of a, we're here to glorify God mindset. That's the purpose of it. Um, But there's a, in my opinion, this is something, you know, that has gone on for a while, but you point out in your book, and I think as the technology age has come along, it's worsened, um, is this perverting Mm -hmm. privacy versus darkness. Um, You write about it and you say in chapter six, it's dangerous really how appealing the darkness is. It disguises itself as privacy because that feels warranted and deserved to us. But in truth, darkness is a place beyond privacy. It's the very place we pervert the innocent right to privacy and twist it in order to serve the sin in us. It is our Mm -hmm. hiding place, a place where we unhinge moral absolutes and declare a right to secrecy, selective omission, and relativism as we write our own rules. The darkness only acts to serve us, our wants, our comfort, our egos, and the sin within us.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's
1: just talk about that a little bit. What's the dangers of the darkness versus that true privacy?
0: I think the first danger is um those who 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 aren't even realizing um that they've moved into just truly dark space and so scripture says the eye is the lamp into the into the um, body and and what it goes on to say is how deep the dark I'm sorry I don't have the actual scripture quote right in front of me but but what it goes on to say is like, how deep the darkness truly is when we don't even realize Mm -hmm. like that there's darkness in the eye. And so I think what is dangerous here is that um, many people, we've become so individualistic. We've become so self-focused. Forgetting the glory of God and focusing so solely on self that we don't even realize how deep we are living, walking, functioning in dark, dark places. And I, I talk a lot about the darkness when it comes to um, porn, when it mm-hmm. comes to, like, I think I wrote that portion in the in the part of my book that was talking about adultery, about yeah. being involved yeah. with a married man. And it was like, whoa, this is too far. This is too much. This is too big, too messy. And so this I'll, I'll keep. In. Like, I'm not mm. saying anything about any of this. And it's like, we've taken what is pure and entitled in some capacities of a sense of privacy and modesty and the ability to sort of um, keep things important in for ourselves and we've we've twisted that to justify really anything and everything we want to keep reserved for self and so that is our struggle with pornography that's our wants and our desire for pleasure and satisfaction in a moment we can get it behind a computer screen or behind our phone and We can serve the wants in us, the sin in us at no mindfulness of the expense to others. Mm -hmm. And this is a dark place. This is the, you know, living in sin and doing different things and walking in that and not feeling the need to tell anyone else, um, because this was our private thing, right? Like this is just me and my guy I'm with, and we can do what we want and no one needs to see or know. And that's our privacy, right? Well, that's a dark place. We've, we've, Robbed and perverted privacy to really just justify hiding anything that we want to hide because we don't want people to see it. Because we think we have a
1: right to do what we want to do all the time.
0: Exactly. That darkness will literally cripple and blind and consume us if we're not careful.
1: And that whole idea that we live in an individualistic society allows people to believe that it is only going to affect you. And let me tell you, it does not only affect you. It's going oh, to it affect your you. eventual spouse. It's affecting who mm-hmm. you're dating right now. Because if mm-hmm. we're talking about pornography, when you're looking at that, that is dehumanizing another person. I know it doesn't feel yeah. like it is, but it is. Um, and no, honestly, is. you're dehumanizing even yourself because you're living a false reality. It's not mm-hmm. real life. And so it's not all about you because everything that comes after you is going to be affected by by what you're doing in the dark, unless you find freedom in
0: Christ. Exactly, because what you're doing in the dark is ultimately affecting like what we talked about before, your heart. Mm -hmm. It's letting darkness seep into the purity of a heart. Looking at porn in the privacy of your own room may feel harmless, and a lot of Christians justify it as like, I'm not doing anything with anybody else. I'm not hurting anyone. But you are, because you are profoundly affecting your own heart that, like you said, will later affect, whether you realize it or not, your perception of your spouse, your relationship with your significant other, whatever it may be, Um, but you're also, you're fueling an industry that is massively hurting others. Mm -hmm. Porn is a billion dollar industry Mm -hmm. because of demand. The supply is met. Yep. you know, it is there to meet the demand. Mm-hmm. And in one calendar year in 2016 alone, I believe it was, we as a people um, consumed 4.6 billion hours of pornography. This is on one website. Whoa. There are hundreds of thousands of pornographic websites. And in one calendar year on one pornographic website, oh one of the larger ones. We, as a people consumed 4.6 billion hours of pornography. Now that is 17,000 complete lifetimes of porn oh consumed in one year on one website. And if we don't think that that is profoundly, um, harming others, we are just naive and dumb. Mm-hmm. And because if we think fueling... that the only
1: people who are looking at it are people who aren't believers, let me tell you, that is also a lie. <laughs>
0: massively the average age of exposure to porn right now is 9 years old yep. that's the average age and so as we continue to heighten the demand the supply continues to stream which is ruining other people's lives bodies hearts minds spirits souls and not only that it is it is infiltrating every market it can reach every platform it can be streamed through every place and it is now beginning to affect deeply our children, yeah. not just our husbands, not just our wives, not just young people, not just the non-believing male. It is um, affecting our pastors. It is a temptation for our, our children, nine years old, I know, nine right? years old, the average that's average age, the age old of, of That's the
1: age of my oldest son. And I sat before my husband last night after talking to a friend and I said, we, it, it, the time is now. The time is right. now for us to not act like this does not exist, Mm -hmm. to not, you know, I mean, I'm not going to walk around my child acting like if I put him in this little bubble, he's still not going to be exposed to it because that's not the truth either. I mean, they can simply open up their iPads now and an accident Mm -hmm. can happen. Yes, you've got to put parameters in place to protect them. But we have conversations with our son, things like, Once you see certain things, you cannot unsee them. That's why we ask you not to do X, Y, and Z. And then put that in a biblical perspective. You know, we've talked to him so much about purity and what sex is and why that's important. And some people have said to us, whoa, you started that at age eight. And I'm like, guys.
0: Yeah, because they're getting it on the school bus, you know, (laughs) in third grade. Oh, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. And the reality is that, you know, sheltering is not the solution no overexposing so that they'll see it and know it and be cool with it is not the solution speaking to the 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 depths of their hearts Mm. and teaching the heart of man Mm. the the brokenness here, the sin here, the reality that this is not just something you can privately do in the darkness and you're not hurting anyone, but the reality at the heart of what's happening here, that's what we must equip young people with because they are going to go out in the world and be exposed to it. And will our children have a heart convicted to say, wait a second, this isn't right. This isn't good. Even without mom and dad, dad around to hover over and to you know, pull something out of my hand. Do our children, are they equipped at the heart level to understand this is an image bearing creation of God that we're looking at on this screen Mm -hmm. and this isn't right. And this isn't good. And I'm going to choose to look away from this, to turn away from this. And I'm going to choose to call you guys up to more than this. This is where things come out of the perverted darkness into the light And we begin to see light shined in areas when the heart is deeply reached and um, we can walk in spirit and in truth. And I I know I probably sound like I'm bouncing around to five different topics in all of this, but the reality is that it all very much bleeds together. It It all bleeds together and it roots right back down to right back down to the root of the heart. And when we begin to understand what God desires and cares for and came to redeem is the heart, then our actions will look different. Mm-hmm. Then our need to serve ourselves will look different mm-hmm. Then what we do in the private places. The dark places will look different because we'll know that we're not actually alone whatsoever in those places that there is a very real God who sees and is with us and is aware and is, um, either honored or dishonored in those places, those things will change. When we see people hurting, our heart will compel us to care and to reach out with sympathy, not with judgment. When we see people who are in perversion and who are in brokenness, if our heart is affected, it will care to reach out and speak truth, to call people up. Um, When we are activated and awakened at the heart level as a body of believers, I believe we will see revival in this sexual area, but we can no longer justify or dismiss or try to keep things in the darkness or act like it's not a thing or not facilitate the conversation or keep our own broken testimonies hidden because of shame. We must, we must, we must begin to um, bring these things to light, because light will always drive out darkness. Mm -hmm. When we bring these things to Jesus, when we bring these things to one another, when we begin to bring these things up and point to truth of what God has to say about it and who he is in light of it, we will see healing and we will see hope and we will see revival in this area. But it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of humility.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell us something... What is some encouragement? Let's say there's a single man, a single woman listening who is trying to save themselves for marriage. What encouragement do you have for them?
0: Oh, I, that you are (laughs) incredible. First off, I would say to even have heart that desires that in a culture that screams as loud as it can, everything opposite from that message. I would say, um, incredible, incredible. I would encourage the person who, um, is seeking to do that and is walking in that, I would encourage you to continue pressing forward, to run the race set before you, to walk in spirit and in truth, to continue to lean on and, and depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to empower you to walk in purity in that capacity. Um, I would also say to the person who desires to do that, but their backstory looks very different, incredible, incredible. Keep walking forward. Your past does not define you. Your shame doesn't get to stamp the end end result of your story. Your, um, brokenness doesn't get to write what this day forward looks like. Scripture says his mercies are new every morning. And so incredible that any of us, no matter our backstory or our present state can rise into new, fresh mercies, and say, God, create in me a clean, clean heart. heart. Yeah. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Give me the power to walk in your purity. Give me the, the, the power to open my mouth and find accountability. Give me the power to, to um, convict me, God, yeah. of the things I'm doing in the darkness. And give me the power to bring them to light. I think if, if all of us can walk day in and day out, seeking his power to do these things, to walk in purity, coming into community, writing his truth on our heart, that it was the woman who was caught red-handed in adultery, that he intersected and stones that would be cast to break her skin and bones fell around her and instead broke off the shame and the pain that she felt. If Jesus can do that for the adulteress to be stoned, then, then he can so certainly meet you with the same degree of grace. And if we can remember his instruction to that woman in light of his grace, that he said, now go and sin no more. Mm -hmm. My mercies are new every morning. Yes, my grace is sufficient. Yes, now obey my commands. The word says, those who love me will obey my my commands." commands go and sin no more. Then in this moment we can know redemption. And for the days to come, we can walk in in obedience, in faith, in purity and hope. We can change um the the decisions we're making. We you I would speak over this person. I'm sorry, I get real fired up and so I
1: Don't apologize. I just, I,
0: I I know the spirit would have someone listening here. That right now by the power of God Almighty, you have the ability to step out of the relationship that you're in, Mm -hmm. that you've justified the sexual brokenness in it for far too long because you think that shows him or her your love. Mm -hmm. Um, But you have the power to realize that the state of your heart and your soul is more important than the state of your relationship status. Um, Dating this person, you have the power by the power of the Holy Spirit to step out of this relationship. You have the power to close the computer screen for the person who is struggling with pornography and the grips of it, um, you have the power—the supernatural power—to um, to close the screen and to allow him to work in your heart. And I, I want to speak too to the person. Um, sorry, I'm, I just am feeling waves from from the Holy Spirit of many He desires to minister to right now. His mercies are new. And you have the power tomorrow to step out of the friend group that you have been in and trying to please and satisfy. You, you just have the power in the name of Jesus mm-hmm. to step away from any and all of the areas that are challenging and tempting you and escorting you right back into the places that your heart deeply belongs to be free of. Mm-hmm. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you're, you're able because He is able. And I just want to encourage anyone listening, walking in that, that, that I think t- today is the actual day that you make the decision you've been, um, back and forth on and feeling not strong enough to do. Yeah. I don't know where that lands or who that for or what capacity. I'm that sure I'll in, hear but
1: And when I do, I'll share it yeah, with just, you, you know, cause. Do
0: let right. me know. I think we just need to remember and, and know that like, you're not married to that You're not married for the long haul to the story. Your sin is written up until this point. Mm -hmm. You are married to his grace and Mm -hmm. his mercy from this point, this day, this moment forward to walk a new direction towards him. And so I hope that encourages somebody. Absolutely.
1: Well, before we close out, tell our listeners, because now your book has an eight part curriculum that goes along with
0: it. It does. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. And so (laughs) what
1: can someone expect if they go... It's on your website, right? So that's MoIsom.com.
0: Yeah, this was so beautiful. We, um, when Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot released, uh, we listened. We just started listening to people for like a year We just listened to people's feedback, their thoughts, what resonated with them, what questions they still had. And what I kind of realized through the course of the year was that the book does an exceptional job of opening up the conversation, but people are hungry for more. And people were especially hungry for the really practical, the practical advice of how do I do this? how do I break free of this, you know, bondage I feel around pornography? How do I walk out of this relationship? Why would I ultimately, and people were really hungry for more. And so we created, um, the curriculum sex in Jesus, the conversation continued. We created this eight part video series that, um, is additional content to the book. It's not actually a study guide over the book or a rehashing of, um, what's already covered. It is more content oh, awesome! that really escorts the viewer through on your own time, on your own pace. It's a curriculum that, um, once you purchase, you have access, lifetime access. Okay. To.
1: Is it for individuals, um, for groups, both
0: kind of both? There's yeah, one awesome individual who, um, is wanting to move through that alone or with your spouse or, Um, whatever that looks like. There's another group option that includes this like 40 page leaders guide, this, um, yeah, discussion guide that walks through, you know, the videos as well, and allows you to cultivate that conversation amongst, um, groups that are moving through this together. So there's both options there. Um, and it's just, I personally, it's, it's a a bit of content that I feel may be most proud of, of anything we've created um, through this ministry, because it's really practical. It's really applicable and it walks through a whole process of healing and wholeness. And there's stuff in there for the single there's stuff in there for the engaged, the married, the parents. That was one of the biggest questions we heard of like, okay, so now how do I talk to my kids about all this stuff? Yeah. So there is content even in there for the parent. Um, so it, it, it covers a wide swath and it covers the questions that we heard. And um, it's really been beautiful to see it take people even deeper and um, answer a lot of those questions they had.
1: Well, Mo, I thank you so much. Thank you for your boldness to share your story and to continue to proclaim God's word to women and men, you know, across the world. I know that it's needed and I know that God's using you because he's used you in my life. And I have friends who can say the same. And so I'm so, so grateful that you took the time to be here today.
0: Thank you. It, it was my privilege. And I could say the exact same for you and the faithfulness of cultivating these conversations and being willing to have them and hear from so many profound voices on your podcast is, is um, an incredible thing. So thank you. Thank
1: you for listening to today's episode. Resources, links, and quotes from today's conversation can be found at com under the show notes tab. If you are enjoying the show, I would like to ask you a few favors. Number one, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. You can head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. Number two, if you enjoy the show, Would you take a moment to leave a review on iTunes? Those reviews help me to know how the show is impacting you. And number three, the best way to grow is for people like you to share it with your friends. Will you share your favorite Grace Enough podcast episode via text, email, or social media? Again, I'm so grateful for each one of you who listen week in and week out.
0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time.